Hey, Northwest, I hope you guys enjoyed the worship element that we added this week. I want to say first uh, that we miss you guys a great deal. I miss seeing y'all come in. I miss the ones who come early and look at me to make sure that I've checked them off for getting there early. And I miss the ones who come in late with kind of the sheepish, oh, man, it's her fault that we're not here on time. So anyway, I, I just miss you guys. I miss seeing you. I miss the interaction. Um, but I'm thankful that you've tuned in online. We're going to be in Ephesians 5. Um, I want to say thanks to Scott Thacker and Jay Lee for doing an incredible job with Ephesians 3 and 4. Um, and my hunch is you'll see them again. Um, and, and I hope so, um, because I loved what they had to say. Um, listen, I know a lot of you guys are in the midst of a struggle, whether it's just a struggle to do your job from home, or maybe it's a struggle that you may have lost your job, or I'm hopeful I haven't heard any cases, but I'm hopeful there's no health struggles. Um, but in the midst of these struggles, I just want to call us together as a community to pray. Um, we're having a Wednesday night prayer hour, 7.30. It's on Zoom. We're publishing that. You can find it on the website. Karen uh, will also send you a note out. But if you've got something between Wednesdays that you need prayed for at any time, just send an email to info at nwcommunity.org, or you can just send it to me, Tom, T-H-O-M, at nwcommunity.org. We want to be praying with you and alongside you um, as we go through this season. And the reason that we pray is simple. Jesus told us to. And he not only told us to pray once, but he says in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. We believe that the Lord responds to our prayers. We know he does. And so we just want to pray right now. Lord, we pray that you'd be our peace in this storm. We pray for the needs of our community. Lord, we pray that as a church, that we would love and encourage one another, that we'd stand together as we go through this season, whether our troubles are economic, whether they're health, whatever may be ahead for us, that we would walk this out together. Lord, I pray protection around all of our families, around this community, around our city, and our country. But Help us be the people of faith that you've made us to be as we go through this together. We know you're the Lord. We know that you're sovereign. Um, I pray that today's message would be an encouragement as we talk about what it looks like to imitate you, to be people of the light, and to submit ourselves to your plan. So, Lord, we just ask um, that you be in the midst of this, that you would speak through me um, as we talk about this today. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So last week, Jay talked about Ephesians 4, that we all have a calling. And I want to talk about this week from Ephesians 5, how we walk that calling out. In, in Ephesians 5.16, if we look right in the middle of the chapter, it says that we make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So how do we make the most of every opportunity? Well, I want to talk about three ways that we can do that. From verses 1 and 2, to imitate God. From verses 8 and 9, to live as people of light. And then the last, basically, third of the chapter, to submit to God's plan for us, specifically in marriage. And I want to talk about what that looks like and why that's relevant to all of us. So let's look at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. They say this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us 
and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So we're to imitate God. That's the first two words that Paul exhorts us with. Oh, wow. Like imitate God, right? Does that mean should I just speak and have the heavens come to be? Or maybe um, I should breathe the stars into existence like it talks about in Psalm 33. Or maybe I should stand out, you know, and speak to the wind and cause the wind not to blow or stand in the middle of a choppy sea and ask the waves to stop. I mean, have you ever thought about or wondered what it looks like to imitate God? And maybe we could do it together. Maybe you fix the foundations of the earth and then I'll be the one who holds the sea from its boundaries and doesn't let it go any further. No, I don't think that's what he's talking about when he says to imitate God. I think instead we should consider how God's love was expressed through Christ when he came to earth. From, the first, from our chapter last week even, we saw Paul talk about in Ephesians 2 and 3 for us to be humble and gentle and to make allowance, to always be humble and gentle. That, that's a good, like that, let's not forget that always. But, and not only that, to make allowance for each other's faults, that that maybe is enough right there. I mean, even Jesus describes himself in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, when he says, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, my, my bet is that list got a little longer this past week. But all who are weary and carry heavy burdens to come to him. because he, And he said, let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle. And that has an impact us, on us. I mean, we know that he's big, right? Like the things I talked about at the beginning, creating the world and holding all things together. I mean, we know he's big like that. But where he has the big impact on us is not the knowledge in our head of him, but it's the knowledge in our heart of him. That's where we really begin to have impact. When I'm sitting alone at my table early in the morning and I'm reading his word and I sense that he's talking to me. And in those moments, he's humble and he's gentle. And that has great impact on me. And so we, if we imitate him, can be humble and gentle with others. I think this is especially true right now in our houses as we're in closer quarters than we're used to, and we're seeing more of each other than we normally do, to be humble and gentle with one another, to make allowance for each other's faults. Those are ways that we can imitate God and that we can see that have an impact. Also, in verse 2 of this, another way that we can imitate God is that it says, He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God that we can live our lives as sacrifices. To John 15, 13, before Christ goes to the cross, he says this. He says, greater love has no man than to lay his life down for his friends. And that's a way, is to sacrifice, to give up my agenda to help you accomplish yours. That's a way that we can live as sacrifices, to do things that I know will help my spouse or kids um, is a way that I can sacrifice in our present circumstances. And so sacrifice is a funny thing because sacrifice is a choice. I was reading a quote from F.B. Meyer this week, you know, one of my favorite authors, and he said, there are no pressed men in our master's army. All are volunteers. And I think what makes it a pleasing aroma to the Lord is this, is that it's our choice. We have chosen to lay our life down so that we might honor him. And that's a way that we can imitate God because that's what our Savior, Jesus Christ, did for us was he chose to be a sacrifice. So these are ways that we can imitate God and live lives filled with love. So let's look at another way 
<clears throat> that we can make the most of every opportunity. And that's this. In Ephesians 5, 8, and 9, it says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So another way we can make the most of every opportunity is to live as people of light. So our light is from the Lord. When Jesus was here in John eight twelve, he said, I'm the light of the world. And that what he offered us was to no longer walk in the darkness. So what does that mean? That means no longer walking in confusion, in chaos, in disorder, in worry. Instead, we can walk in peace and we can know that we're loved. We can know him and we can know we're known by him, which gives us a sense of security. And that's what it looks like to walk in the light with him. John 1, 4 says, as John in his gospel begins to introduce who Jesus is, he says, in him is life, and this life was the light of men. And it's that sense of understanding of who God is as our creator and our heavenly father who loves us. Luke 1, 78 and 79 says that the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us on those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide us to peace. So I think that's what it's talking about when it talks about being people of light. It's carrying this good news message forward to people and this idea that they are known and loved by our Heavenly Father. So let's consider for a moment as we try to figure out how we live as people of light, properties of light. Let's consider how light works. Okay, light's quick right? 186,000 miles per second, not per minute or not per hour, per second. 186,000 miles per second is how fast light travels. And I think that's also true of the Lord, that like when Jesus moves in, we go from death to life. And it happens in an instant. When we invite him into our life, we go from being dead, as we learned in Ephesians 2, to being alive. And that happens quickly. Look at Paul, blinded on the road. He's going to Damascus to tear up the church, to destroy people, to bring people back and put them in jail, right? Like that's his mission. He's blinded on the road by the light. A few days later, he's preaching the gospel. The very one he set out to destroy, he's now preaching for it. That happened pretty quick. So light is quick and light moves through us quickly as we come to know the truth. And though it's quick... Light is also soft, right? We see that light is soft in, in the morning. You know, you've heard me talk before about when I sit at my table, I look out the window and I can see kind of, I looking out east and I can see the sun come and it starts on the top of the trees and it starts to slowly work its way down. And it just, it's real soft and it just gradually gets brighter throughout the day. And that's the same way the Holy Spirit works in us, right? Is that we know a little bit and we're drawn to it. And we're drawn to him. And the more we come to him, the brighter it becomes within us. And so there's this softness quality to light that it doesn't overwhelm us initially. It's not the midday sun, but it's the soft morning light. And then it grows to the midday. And so, so he works in us in very similar fashion. Light is also, though it's soft, it's also very persistent. Right? It just keeps coming. You can't hold it back. Right? When light pierces the darkness, that's it. Like it has pierced the darkness and it's very persistent. And it reminds me of what we talk about love in the chapter, 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. 
that love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That that's how light is, is that it is very persistent. Light also transforms. Without light, we stumble. And in a moment, as I said, everything changes. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7 say that we have this great light that's in us, the broken vessels, but that this light not only shines through us so that others can know about Christ, but it also, as it's shining through us, it transforms us. That when we look back at our journey with Christ, we see that I used to be like this, and the Lord brought me to a much softer place as I deal with other people, maybe not as harsh or as angry or as afraid, because the light transforms. The more I know of Him, the stronger and more secure I feel in Him. And so what I want to say to you is this. I think the most important thing as people of light is just to be ready to witness to the difference the light has made in your life. You know, you think about a witness. um, A witness doesn't have to fabricate the truth. A witness doesn't have to be ready or come up with something. A witness just has to tell what they saw. Right. And that's the same thing as light comes through you. It's this idea that it's his light and it's shining through you because you've invited him into your life. And all we have to be willing to do is to tell people what difference the light has made in our lives. And so as his light shines through us, the more it does, the more we seek to follow him, the more we realize how good he is, the more we want to follow him. And we begin to understand that his plans for us fit our design. That, That in other words, like I was made to be obedient to him. And the more I'm obedient to him, the richer my life is. And that is no more evident than in our final point for today, which is to submit to God's plan for marriage. That God has a plan for marriage, which Paul outlines in the last third of this chapter. And so the way that we make the most of every opportunity is we imitate him. And then we live as people of light. And that we submit to his plans for our life. And the example I'm going to talk about is what's in the last third of this chapter. And it's about marriage. You know, as I left the marketplace and went into ministry, so, you know, I've had the great privilege of doing premarital counseling with a lot of young couples. And the more I've talked to them and the more I've read Ephesians 5 in particular, um, and the more we've lived our own marriage out, um, the more profound this chapter has become to me. The more I feel like I've learned that God's plans really are good. And this applies if you're single. It applies if you're divorced or widowed or if you're married and your marriage is struggling or if you're married and your marriage is thriving. And that's this, that God's plan for us is what's best for us. And that God's plan for us is beautiful And that God's plan is better than anything we can come up with on our own. And so let's consider what it means to submit to this plan. His plan for marriage. I want to start in verse 32. Because it says this is a great mystery. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. See marriage is this beautiful picture of Christ as the groom. Being joined with his bride. The church. We the church. Those who believe in Christ are the beloved. And Christ is the lover of the beloved. 
Paul begins with, and further, in, in Ephesians 5.21, if you look there, he begins with this, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission first to God, because this is his plan, and then to one another. And what that does is I think it gives us a sense of equality or a sense of partnership as we talk about this. One's not greater than the other that we just have different roles. And these roles are outlined. The husband and wife are given separate roles in the rest of this chapter, and those roles are for purpose. What I want to ask you for is some grace as we talk about this. Sometimes we get a little tense because we don't like the roles that have been assigned or um, because our culture, quite frankly, has taken the truth and just twisted it a little and made uh, one feel lesser than the other. And that's not the case as we read the Scripture. And so I just want you to have an open heart as we read through this and consider how God designed it so that not so that we could exist together, but so that we could thrive and flourish in our marriages. So let's look first at the wife's role. This is Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. So she is to submit to her husband. The world, as I said, it loves to twist this and loves to make it uh, seem as though this makes the wife lesser. And I think it's important to understand that they are to submit wives to husbands as the church does to Christ. And I think to understand that right, we need to understand what I said earlier about the lover and the beloved. So this is a radical thought in Paul's day, very patriarchal society, for him to talk about a husband loving his wife and not just expecting a wife to serve him in their culture. So in this deal, that Christ is the beloved of the Father. Like if we, we look at their relationship, yes, um, you know, the Father is the lover of Christ. Yes, Christ loves the Father, but the shape of their relationship is that God the Father is the lover of Christ the Son, and He is the beloved of the Father. In the same way, then, the church is the beloved of Christ, and Christ is the lover of the church. And so a man is supposed to be the lover of his wife, and she is to be his beloved. And so that's the model that we have, and we see it more clearly when we see the role of the man. So let's look at Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, where they say, For husbands... This means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. So the husband is to love her like Christ has loved the church and to give up his life for her. Jesus died for his bride, so a man should give up his life or sacrifice his life for, for his bride. And this is um, leadership, right, that we're called to lead and um, to love our wife in a way um, that we lead her well. And leadership is, a, is about serving. It's, a, it's servant leadership. A lot of people refer to Christ, and there's books that have been written about servant leadership. That's honestly just good leadership to care for, to look out for, to watch over those that you lead. You know, the picture for me of that is Christ washing his disciples' feet, that he's um, gentle with them, he cares about them, he understands them. That in that way, when a husband does that for a wife, 
that she begins to feel like she's the beloved. A really good picture of a guy leading well to me is like if you go to Broken Spoke and you see uh, a couple dancing on the dance floor, right? Like they're two-stepping and, and they're dancing all around the dance floor and people are kind of drawn to them because they're like, they're great. They, they look great together and he's leading her but he's doing it in a way that's gentle and that they're both having a great time and it's fun. And to me, that's a good picture of what leadership looks like. So we have these roles that are assigned to us in Ephesians 5. And and if you're like me, you might wonder, like, why do we have these roles? Why did God give us a plan like this? And I believe there's two reasons for that. One is that God addresses our natural sinful tendencies. Adam was to lead. God gave him instructions in Genesis 2. You can eat from any tree in the garden. Right? You can eat um, from anything but this tree that's in the center, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so you can't eat the fruit from that. And if you do, you'll die. And we know that Adam shared that, or God shared that with Adam. And, and we know that Eve knew that because she quotes that back to the devil when she's enticed. And so she sees the fruit. And she knows that she's not to eat that fruit. But she decides she wants to know what God knows. Right? And so the original sins, if I had to categorize them, would be his is passivity. That he was to lead and he was passive. And hers is that she was to submit and to follow Adam and she chose to do what she wanted to do. And, and so it was her desire to control. In Genesis 3.16, part of the curse for this couple is that he says to her, God says to her, your desire will be to control over your husband, but he will rule over you. And so the second reason that I think we have these roles is that God uses these roles to redeem our sinful natures, right? The sinful, our natural uh, bent, he redeems that. Men are called to leave. When men are put in a position to lead, it kind of pushes their buttons. Like their natural thing is they want to just do nothing. they, they, They have a natural tendency to be passive, But instead, in marriage, they're called out. They're called up to lead, to make the hard decisions, to not be disengaged, to pay attention, to know what's going on in my house and with my wife, and to understand her concerns and desires and anxieties and to listen. And when I do those things, she feels like that she's loved. And it feels for me more like how Christ loved us, the church, And women are called to submit in the same way that Christ submits to the church. And when they are, that pushes their buttons. But, you know, why is that? Well, it's probably because they're better. They always have a plan. They have a backup plan when a guy hasn't even come up with a plan. And I know sometimes it's uncomfortable for women um, to wait for the guy to catch up to them, maybe. But, you know, a strong marriage, you know, marriages aren't strong when she's running over him. That doesn't build a strong relationship, which in turn offers her the freedom and security that she desires. So here's how God's plan redeems us. I got this revelation as I read this last verse. I say revelation is a revelation to me. Um, Maybe you all have already all figured it out. But Ephesians 5.33 says this. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. See, I believe we have this deep need. All of us have this deep need. For men, this need is, do I have what it takes? That's the question we all ask ourselves. 
we wonder, like when we go off to school, do I have what it takes to make it at college or to graduate or to get a job when I get out or, hey, to win this woman's heart and to be her husband? Do I have what it takes to be a good husband and a good father? Do I have what it takes to make it in the marketplace? And when Celia respects me, like it says in Ephesians 5.35, and she comes to me and she asks my opinion and she wants to know what I think, that answers that question in a really deep way. And it draws us into a deeper and more intimate relationship because I know that she respects me because that's my deep need. And I believe that's why that's there. and It's part of his plan. And for her, I believe that question is, am I beautiful? Am I worthy of your love? Would, would you give up your life for me? And, and I believe that when we love our wives, when I love Celia in a way that she knows I'd give up my life for her, that she, that answers that question for her in a really deep way. And what happens is, in the same way when she respects me, I become better and I become more respectable. In the same way, when I love her, then she becomes free and she becomes more of who God made her to be and she becomes even more attractive to me. And so this plan it becomes this really positive cycle of how we interact with each other. Now, initially, that cycle is like sandpaper because we're both operating out of our natural bent, right? Like hers to control, mine to be passive. But then when I step up and lead and when she submits to that leadership, and again, we're equal partners, we're submitted to one another. But when we work together in this way as it was designed, what happens is it just it gets it's like sandpaper smooths it out and makes it and brings out the best in the wood in the same way this brings out the best in us so that in 10 years 20 years 40 years when we look into each other's eyes and we say i love you it, it has a more profound and a deeper meaning and what i've found is that god's plan is what's best for us and his plan is beautiful and it brings out this incredible thing so that his light shines through us, like we're talking about people of the light, to, to imitate him. When we follow his plan, that light shines through us. And people whose marriages are struggling, maybe a guy's not being respected, or maybe he's not respectable. And maybe it's because he's not loving his wife and she doesn't feel like the beloved. But when they're struggling in that, and they see a couple who's not perfect by any stretch, but that is loving the way God designed us to love, they're drawn to that. And ultimately, the hope is that they come to know him in the process. And so as we talk about Ephesians 5 today, I just want to tell you, like, I love this chapter and I love this plan. And the more I study it and the more I talk about it with young couples as they're getting married and the more I've read it over and over again, I just know that God's plan is what's best for us. And so as we, you know, imitate him, by being humble and gentle and making allowances for those around us. We become these people of light. And my hope and prayer is that our marriages look like that to our neighbors. Even in this season when we're in these tight, cramped quarters. That, that when they see us, they see light. And they see God shining through us. So I'm going to close this a little bit different today. Students, that means from college on down, if you're gathered together with your house, so I mean all the way down to kindergarten and pre-K, I want you to answer this question for your parents. How can I imitate God this week, today? How can I imitate? What does it look like for me to imitate God? Okay? 
And you might want to go back and read Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 and talk about that together as a family. And for parents, with your kids in the room, okay, or um, empty nesters, I want you to have the conversation too. But what's your biggest challenge in following the roles laid out in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, okay? What's, what's your biggest challenge in following those roles? That's the question. And what's most attractive about those roles? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this church, for the community that we are, that even though we're not gathered together, we're together. Lord, that we, are, we belong to you, we belong to one another. Lord, we pray that you would use us, that your light would shine through us, that we would be people of light for those in, that live on either side of us, that live behind us, that live across the street from us. Lord, that we would just, your light would shine through us. We have opportunity to love those around us. Lord, I pray that we would take care of each other and we take care of those around us in this season. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.